0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Katy, Texas. This case has so many twists and unexpected turns that it will be a multi-part series. I cannot tell you how many times my jaw hit the floor and how many what the fuck moments I had while researching this case. So hold on tight. As always, small talk sucks. So let's dive in. Belinda Temple, originally Belinda Lucas, was always a surprise, even on the day she was born. According to an interview her parents did with Nancy Grace, the couple was expecting a cute little squishy baby in December of 1968. They didn't know the sex of the baby they were expecting because back then you only got ultrasounds when they were necessary for the health of the mom or the baby, but they fully expected that they'd be having yet another boy their surprise, when they got to the hospital, a sweet little baby girl was born. But that's not the surprise. Belinda's mom wasn't able to take a breather after giving birth to her new daughter because as it turns out, there were two babies in there, two baby girls, Belinda and Barbara. This was essentially the leveled up version of I didn't know I was pregnant, except it was I didn't know I was pregnant with twins. Belinda's parents were expecting one baby but got two for the price of one. Well, kind of. I mean, her mom had twice the kicks, twice the heartburn, and twice the baby growing in her belly, but it was all worth it when they got to hold their two little girls. Growing up, Belinda and Brenda were two peas in a pod, as twins usually are. They were sweet, kind, and absurdly well-behaved. Belinda always had a nurturing personality. She cared about the rules and she cared about everyone around her. From childhood into adulthood, Belinda gave a fuck about people, something I think we should normalize. With her positive attitude came discipline. Belinda did great in school and was an incredible athlete. Basically, she studied and she practiced and her hard work got her into a great college in Nacogdoches, Texas. It was at that college where she fell in love with a guy named David Temple, and he had a story of his own. Now, David wasn't a local to Nacogdoches. He'd actually grown up back in Katy, where he was a local football hero. And I'm talking Friday Night Lights kind of hero. Everyone in town knew his name or more so his nickname. According to 2020, David Temple was known as the Temple of Doom. Dude was 5'11 and weighed over 220 pounds. It's no surprise that he was a linebacker and took names on the field. Fun fact here, while David was playing on the football field, the Renee Zellweger was cheering for him in front of the stands. She was a cheerleader at the same high school and was in the same graduating class as David. Outside of football, David was particularly popular in school, as most jocks are. The Houston Chronicle interviewed some people he went to school with who talked about the male version of the jock clique he was in. They were called the Rebels. The female counter version of the clique was known as the Rebel Women. I'm not super impressed by the creativity here, but you're not here for my opinion. Some classmates talked positively about David, I guess you could say positively, saying he was probably the perennial athlete of our class and a very intense guy athletically. Though another classmate had a different sentiment, saying he was, and I quote, a little shit. Honesty is the best policy. David actually got into a little trouble during his stint in high school. According to the Houston Chronicle, he and another guy on the football team got charged with burglary of a motor vehicle. While in custody, a police report notes that the two admitted to being responsible for several car break-ins over the previous 7 months. According to the outlet, one of them said that they traded some of the items they'd stolen from the break-ins for steroids. But according to David, only radar detectors stolen in the break-ins were sold. Now, that doesn't clear a whole lot up. Traded, sold items, radar detectors. It does feel strange though that a high school football player would have a solid market for radar detectors. Nonetheless, the Houston Chronicle reports that David pled guilty to a Class A misdemeanor and while law enforcement was able to close seven cases, David only had to spend three days in the county jail and come up with a whopping $100 for his fine. Regardless of David's little shit qualities and his three-day stint in jail, 2020 reports that he wound up being voted most athletic in his senior year of high school. That athleticism got him a scholarship to college, the same college he met Belinda at. And thus, their story begins. From everything I've read, David was undoubtedly known for being, as we mentioned earlier, athletically intense. Everything was about football, and he was a winner. That's what he set out to do, and frankly, he usually accomplished it. Everyone seemed to know about his sports-induced temper and intensity. That being said, it didn't seem like that intensity or attitude spilled over into his personal life. Those who talked about David and Belinda's relationship on 2020 all seemed to say the same thing. Sure, David was a force to be reckoned with on the field, but when it came to Belinda, he was sweet and affectionate. David and Belinda dated for about a year before he knew that she was the one. According to 2020, David went to Belinda's father and asked him for his blessing before planning this big blowout engagement at the 50-yard line where he asked Belinda to marry him. Of course, she said yes. In 1992, the couple, still working on their education, had their dream wedding, the kind of wedding that every guest compares the next one to. To add to the sentimental value of that day, David's own dad was the one who officiated the ceremony. Belinda and David went on to finish college and according to the show, both went above and beyond and graduated with a master's in education. It doesn't look like that was David's original plan for his degree, but maybe Belinda's passion for special education rubbed off on him, or maybe he wanted to stay in the football world even though he wasn't going to go pro, and knew that as a teacher, he still had a chance of becoming a football coach. After getting their master's degrees, their family grew by one, a son they named Evan. With the new baby, the two decided to move back to David's hometown of Katy, Texas, They packed up their things along with their now family of three and bought a beautiful brick house. And when I say beautiful, I'm talking stunning, like arched window above the door, castle looking house on the corner kind of stunning. Once the two settled in, Belinda got a job at a local high school teaching special education, something that had always been close to her heart. The Houston Chronicle reports that her calling came from the love she had for her brother, who was deaf. David also got a teaching job at another local high school where he was able to live out his football dreams as the coach. Once again, both Belinda and David each have their own unique story when it came to work. Belinda was known as Sunshine Girl at school. According to 2020, she was known for her bubbly personality and the kindness that she taught inside and outside of school. And she wasn't the kind of person who just talked about being kind. She was the epitome of it. David, on the other hand, continued to be known for his intensity. In every piece of media I went through regarding this case, it never mentioned David's teaching, only his coaching, and his attitude as a coach seemed to mirror his attitude on the field. With David now being a football coach, he was away from the house a lot, which is apparently a thing. Another coach's wife talked to 2020 and echoed the fact that being a coach's wife meant being a single mom sometimes. Belinda dealt with that the best she could, and she was basically the one A person who could handle it. She had her son at home and another family at work, so she was constantly surrounded by love and support, even if it wasn't from her husband who was away coaching. But he was away a lot, like a lot, a lot, and maybe more than he should have been. I mean, sure, that came with the job, but it seemed like he was staying away from the house when he wasn't necessarily obligated to. This caused some obvious tension in the house. At one point, her friend told the show that David and Belinda went without so much as speaking to each other for six weeks. How that's even possible when they live in the same house and are raising a son together is beyond my comprehension. And rest assured, that shocked her friends just as much as it's shocking all of us right now. It seemed like maybe this was going to be the end of what was once a storybook romance between the jock and the beautiful, wholesome teacher. But to everyone's surprise, it wasn't. Some way, somehow, the two rekindled their marriage and just like that, in the summer of 1998, another Temple baby was on the way. Belinda could not have been more excited to become a mom for the second time and grow their family of three into a family of four, but she noticed that David didn't seem as excited as she was, which is a really awkward place to be in in a marriage or in any relationship for that matter. She didn't get pregnant by herself, and in some reports it said that they had actually planned for this baby. Belinda was instantly in love when she saw those two lines on that pregnancy test, but with David not seeming to share that same excitement, what was she supposed to do? Downplay her emotions? When she's sick, does she not ask for his help? When she goes to appointments, does she hold in the relief and joy when she hears that little baby's heartbeat? What are you supposed to do when someone isn't thrilled about the outcome that you both took part in while you're going to be experiencing that outcome, an outcome that you love, every day for the next nine months? Well, Belinda did what Belinda does, and she put a smile on her face and made the best of it. When it came to her friends and family, she didn't hold back her excitement, especially when she found out that this baby was going to be a mini version of her, a sweet baby girl. Once she found out that her family was about to be complete, one boy and one girl, Belinda went into full-blown mommy mode. Her first order of business was picking out a name. She knew she wanted it to be an E-name to match her big brother's, so she settled on Erin Ashley. It was perfect, and now it was time to design the perfect nursery. In the 2020 episode, you can see that she picked out a gorgeous brown crib that almost looked like it had been handcrafted. At seven months pregnant, growing bump and all, Belinda painted the walls all by herself and added a perfectly matching yellow crib set with cute little frills along the edges. But painting the nursery wasn't the only thing that Belinda did alone at seven months pregnant. According to her parents' interview with Nancy Grace, she got on a ladder, climbed her way up, hung the mini blinds, and installed the shelves in the closet so that she could finally hang all of those teeny tiny pink outfits that she couldn't wait to dress her daughter in. All the while, David was still noticeably distant and continued spending more and more time away from the house. A little intuition had Belinda concerned that maybe he was having an affair, but she hoped that he wasn't. As the winter holidays came, Belinda's twin sister, Brenda, came down to visit. This visit seems like it might have been the first time that anyone got a firsthand glimpse of the palpable tension coming from inside the temple home. It was uncomfortable, awkward, you name it, that was it. Brenda told 2020 that she actually witnessed an argument between David and her sister where Belinda told him, you aren't happy having this baby girl. To which Brenda says David responded with, if you say that again... But he didn't get to finish his sentence before Brenda whipped her protective sister head up and he stopped talking. December 30th, 1998 was Belinda's 30th birthday. It was a big milestone and she was less than a month away from giving birth. You might be wondering what she got from David for her birthday, and the answer is a tall tale about what 2020 referred to as his big plans for New Year's. And you might assume that it was some kind of birthday-related event for Belinda, maybe to make up for his little shit behavior. But no, David's plans had nothing to do with Belinda at all. In fact, they were random as fuck. David decided that out of the blue, he was going to go hunting, something that he rarely did. And I mean, rarely, rarely, naturally, everyone in attendance of this grand act of dumbassery thought that he had to be kidding. This hunting trip wasn't going to be a one day thing. It was going to be a multi day thing. And he had a baby coming anytime between then and the next couple of weeks. But David wasn't kidding. Dude was legitimately leaving his eight-month pregnant wife at home alone with their son to go hunting. He loaded his gear and gun into the vehicle and drove off, leaving damn near everyone dumbfounded. The following few days were more than frustrating for Belinda. Not only had she been reminded of how little David seemed to care, but she had held out hope that he would come around. But hey, maybe this time alone would change some things. Alone time in a place that he failed to tell her about because she legitimately had no idea where he was. But again, maybe he would come home from this mysterious hunting trip a new man with a new attitude maybe the guy she fell in love with seven years prior. But that's not what happened. David did come home from his hunting trip just in time for their seven-year wedding anniversary. What did they do to celebrate? I don't know because I haven't seen a single report on it, so I can't imagine it was anything grand. Life went on as normal for them, whatever you can consider normal, for the next week or so. Both of them went to work, Belinda planning to work all the way up to her due date, and by the end of each day, Finelaw.com reports that she was exhausted and her poor swollen feet were crying. January 11, 1999 started off like any other day. Evan went to preschool and Belinda and David headed off to their respected schools. But by lunchtime, 2020 reports that Evan's preschool called Belinda to let her know that something was off. He wasn't playing around with the other kids like he normally did, and he wouldn't eat lunch, which was super out of character for him. They took his temperature and he was running a fever, so they asked Belinda to come by and pick him up. According to the show, Belinda had a meeting that she had to be at that afternoon, so she called David, but no matter how many times she tried, she could not get a hold of him. For the 80,000th time, Belinda was frustrated and in what seems like a clear pattern, had to handle everything herself, so she headed down to the preschool, picked up her son, and headed home. She was finally able to get in touch with David, and by the time that he got to the house, Evan was already asleep. Belinda had supermommed the crap out of that situation, and with David finally home, she headed back to school to finish out the day and attend that meeting. Belinda left the school around 3.30 p.m. and according to finelaw.com, called David on her way to his parents' house to pick up some homemade soup that they'd made for Evan. Her in-law's house doesn't seem to have been very far from the school that she worked at because she went inside, talked to David's dad for a second, and left around 3.45 With a thoughtful soup in tow, Belinda hopped in the car and headed for home, exhausted like always, with feet that needed a Rip Van Winkle-sized rest. David says that when she got home, she went straight upstairs to get that rest. According to 2020, shortly after Belinda went upstairs around 4 p.m., David decided to take Evan to the park and run some errands to make sure that she could get that rest. According to FineLaw.com, David said that Evan was feeling better, and I certainly hope so if he was planning on taking his three-year-old to a park in the middle of January. Anywho, David says that on the way to the park, Evan wanted something to drink, so he rerouted and drove to Brookshire Brothers grocery store to grab him one. After the grocery store, the two went to Home Depot, and after leaving Home Depot, headed back to the house to be home in time for dinner. During David and Evan's trip, Finelaw.com reports that four phone calls were made to Belinda that were never answered. One at 4.38 p.m., 38 minutes after David says he left the house, it was Belinda's sister, Brenda, calling to let her know that their grandfather was sick. He was in the hospital and the family was on their way to see him. When Belinda didn't answer, Brenda left a message to make sure that she got the news as quickly as she could. Another call came in at 5.10 p.m. And this time it was David's dad calling to check on Evan to see how he was feeling. Just like the previous call, no one answered. David's mom and his dad both called Belinda two more times in 10-minute increments one at 5.20 and another at 5.30, and once again, both calls got no answer. It's clear with the frequency of their calls that they were pretty worried about their grandson. That's a total of four missed calls in a 52-minute time frame. According to finelaw.com, David says that he and Evan got back to the house a little after 5.30 p.m., David says he parked his truck in the garage, unbuckled three-year-old Evan, and told him to wait there while he went inside to let Belinda know they were home. He told his son that he'd be right back so he could watch Evan ride his bike. And let's take a pause right now because I have several questions. Who leaves their three-year-old alone in a garage? And who bothers their resting 38-week pregnant wife to let them know that they're home? What kind of comfort was that supposed to give her? The comfort came with the rest. One simply does not disturb the rest. Additionally, the sun set in Katy, Texas at 5.43 p.m. that night. I checked. Was he planning on watching his three-year-old ride his bike in the dark? All questions that won't be answered just yet. Because when David went inside, the outlet reports that he noticed that one of the nine glass panes on the back door leading to the backyard was broken. Worried that someone might have broken into the home, David went back into the garage, picked up Evan, and ran across the street to the neighbor's house. They were an older couple, and David started banging on their door. The neighbors said that David was usually a pretty quiet guy, so when he was banging on the door and yelling for them, they knew something wasn't right. When they answered the door, David asked them to take Evan and call 911 because someone had broken into their house. The female neighbor took Evan and called 911 at 5.36 p.m. to let them know about the break-in. David sprinted back to his house while the male neighbor ran behind him trying to catch up so that David wouldn't have to go in the house alone, but the neighbor couldn't catch up. David bolted through the gate that led to the backyard, letting it close behind him. He then ran through the back door and slammed that door behind him as well. This neighbor had every intention on opening that gate and going into the house with David, but as he got close to it, Belinda and David's dog, who was in the backyard, wasn't having any of it. That dog loved his owners. He didn't, however, love everyone else. I had a dog like this and he was a king, but I pitied every stranger who got within 30 feet of our house. He 100% assumed that you were there to hurt us and he was going to make sure that he hurt you first. For the record, my big ferocious loyal dog never actually hurt anyone. He just wanted to make sure that everyone thought he would. And maybe he would have if, say, someone broke into the house, but that was never the case. It does seem like that might have been the case here, though. With Belinda and David's dog hella pissed off that someone without the last name Temple was approaching his domain, he was ready to brawl. He was barking and jumping aggressively at the only way into the backyard. The neighbor actually had to hold the gate closed to keep him from getting out, which meant that David was inside the house alone and no one had heard from him since he went in. Now that we've heard about the neighbor's account, let's talk about David's. When David got inside, he noticed that there was glass on the floor, drawers pulled out throughout the house, cabinet doors were open, and their TV had been knocked over. To make matters worse, there was no sign of Belinda, so he went upstairs. As David made his way to their master bedroom, he walked in and immediately to his right noticed that the door to the closet was open. When he looked inside, he found his eight-month pregnant wife balled up in the corner with a five-inch hole in the back of her head. She was still in her work clothes, including her shoes, and had a portable phone beside her. There was blood and brain matter everywhere. At 5.38 p.m., just two minutes after the neighbor called 911, David made his own call. According to a recording from CBS News, David told the dispatcher, I just walked in. My wife, I believe she's been shot. It's got blood everywhere. When the dispatcher asked if Belinda was breathing, David said, Her brain is on the floor. I think she's already dead. She's eight months pregnant. The dispatcher asked David to kneel down next to Belinda to see if she was breathing. He said, She's dead. The dispatcher asked when the last time he saw Belinda was, and he said, Well, it's been several hours. The dispatcher asked, you say half her brain is on the floor? He answered, she's got blood all over the part. I can't see because she's down in the corner. From the photos on 2020, it looks like there were pants hanging above Belinda's head. The dispatcher asked if David had felt her to see if she had a pulse, and he told her that he had checked and that Belinda did not have a pulse. The dispatcher continued on and said, we got a baby though, right? And asked David if he knew CPR. He said he did. And the dispatcher told David that she wanted him to do CPR for the baby. When she asked if he was doing CPR, David said, she's gone. The dispatcher reiterated and said, let's see if we can use her for the baby. David said, Jesus Christ. So the dispatcher asked him if there was any way he could do this. And David said, well, she she there's just no way she's got a, a brain that's just so bloody just covered on the floor. The call ended with the dispatcher telling him that the police were there. But even though law enforcement had arrived, they had a really hard time getting into the house. As police walked up to the back gate, just like the neighbor had, they were met with the temple's dog who was once again, according to finelaw.com, barking and slamming into the fence. They knew they couldn't safely get to the back door, but they needed to get inside that house. One call had told them there was a break in and another one had told them that someone had been shot. There was no question whatsoever that they needed to get inside that house. And as much as I hate to say it, they were thinking they might have to shoot the dog. But just as they were making that decision, David came out back and took the dog into the garage where he continued to bark. Finally, police were going to enter this big, beautiful home that no one ever expected to become a nightmare. And when they did, they quickly realized that something wasn't right. Scratch that. A lot of some things weren't right, but that is gonna have to wait for next week. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Belinda's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight at nine pm. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcasts ad free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you part two of Belinda's case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.